The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Summer camp is a magic place where kids discover who they are because they have the freedom to explore on their own. Why Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is a sleepaway camp in the heart of Idaho's wilderness. Each summer, campers make friends, build new skills, and learn to love the outdoors through activities like canoeing, archery, zip lining, rock climbing, campfires, and more. Registration for Y Camp at Horse Thief Reservoir is open. Financial assistance is available. Learn more at YCampIdaho.org. Welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising. I'm your host, James Gifford, and we're getting back to the old school and, and kind of bringing a panel discussion to you guys. Uh, and we are joined by a wonderful panel of folks from the Agile Uprising Discord. And tonight we're going to talk about, um, you know, for, for everybody out there, we want to talk about how you engage an existing Agile team, whether you're a Scrum Master or Agile Coach, at some point in time, you may be asked to come in and, and shepherd a team, not take it over. You want to shepherd, bring them along, pick up, nurture, kind of help them along on their agile journey. And so we're going to talk about uh, that and how, you know, we can help you guys maybe understand how to do that in the future. So looking for some grateful or great tips from our panel. And we'll start with Todd, and then as you, we go around the horn, if you could just introduce yourself, since I'm probably just going to butcher names, and I don't want to repeat sins of the past. Yeah, uh, you know, Todd Thrash, I'm working as a Scrum Master. I currently have five teams um, in various states of, of uh, maturity. Uh, howdy, y'all. I'm Mike Cadell. I'm... I just try to help people be more awesome. Um, call me whatever you want. I just like helping people be more awesome. Stephen Kellogg. I kind of follow the same road as Mike. I have done more on the management side of engineering, um, including coaching and mentoring teams. Jonathan Schneider. Uh, I've been doing uh, about coaching for quite some time, a lot of technology coaching and do a lot now of direct uh, the technology direction and managerial stuff, but still getting a lot of coaching. Hi, Janelle Lanza. I'm a transformation coach, personal coach, and really have empathy for uh, people in large, complex organizations and the, the things that are being asked of them. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you guys kind of coming on here to discuss this. It's been really fun to watch this topic kind of emerge as we talk through this in the, you know, guest wanted uh, for the podcast channel uh, on our Discord. It was a lively discussion. And I think that tonight I'd like to kind of start the, you know, from the beginning, let's talk about how we kind of, you know, want to engage our teams or engage this new team that we're, we're kind of 
you know, somebody has said inherit or, or picking up, you know, we, you never know why a team may need a new, um, new coach or a scrum master. Cause we, you know, scrum masters are coaches too. Um, for all you people out there that are hung up on the title. Um, you know, we've all kind of, whether it's through attrition or, you know, they're receiving bad, bad, uh, they receive some bad coaching and that coach is no longer there or, you know, there's a million different scenarios of why a team could need a new person to help them on their journey. So let's talk about how we kind of approach those kind of um, kind of situations, and we'll we'll kind of kick it over to Janelle with with ladies first. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I think uh, having a well, first of all, I've coached and managed a lot of hostile teams. <laughs> And we could talk later about that if you want, about what, what do you mean by hostile? Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, through no fault of their own, it's just the environment they're in and the, the circumstances that lead up to that. Um, so I think in creating the circumstance and the environment, part of that, if you can, as a coach, is to get a favorable introduction. The last thing you want is to just be thrown in without any introduction, without any um any way to ease into it. And the other part of that is that what a management or some other clients or team member thinks is a favorable introduction for a coach probably isn't. You know, like, hey, this is Todd and, and he's here to tell us what to do from now on. So, you know, just, just listen to him or hi, this is, um, you know, this is Steve. He's just going to sit in the back and observe. So, you know, don't mind him. I mean, we could come up with all kinds of examples. So I think Number one, favorable introduction is really important if you can get it. And it might sometimes feel too late, but it's really never too late. There's something still in your control, even if you've been either not introduced or poorly introduced, to try and still come in with a positive, um, authentic um, start to your engagement or to your team. Awesome. Mike? Um, yeah, uh, if, if I could record and just play back what Janelle said, I think that would be awesome. Um, the thing I would add to that is somehow I want to get across the point that I'm coming to this situation to um, bring what I can to offer to the team. I'm not there to, quote, fix them. I, I have had situations where folks in management said, here, go fix this team. And like, well, wait a minute. I don't know if they need fixing. Um, so uh, I want to start off establishing some sort of rapport. And um, one of the first, one of the first things to, that I want to do is um, listen and observe, just kind of take in and try to understand the, the environment and the context before I do anything. Um, and uh, <clears throat> the uh, favorable introduction certainly certainly helps that. But uh, uh, yeah, just just you know, zip it and listen. You know, I gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. <laughs> listen twice as much. Nice. You know, I I mean, I've I've been on the receiving end of some of the most least favorable introductions, and I think that uh, you know it does set a set a tone and. 
if we if we watch Mr. Todd vent uh, a whole bunch of, uh, in the in the vent channel, I'd love to kind of kick it over to Todd and and, and get his three cents. Yeah, I mean, so you know, I'd had a, a couple of teams that I've worked with, and and things had gone well, and you know they came to me and said, Hey, you know, we want to, we want to shift how this team is working. And, and they had kind of an agile project manager and they wanted to, to kind of divvy up and go more of the, the scrum master and product owner role. And I was like, Hey, cool. You know, management came to me and, and, you know, they think that I've got, you know, what this team needs. Um, and so I did exactly what, what Mike and Janelle, you know, or the opposite of what they advised. And I was like, Hey, I've got a plan. And I went in and, uh, Man, I fell flat day one with that team, um, and it was it was you know a learning experience and it was humbling. Um, and it took and there wasn't much of an introduction that I got either. So so I took a, a couple of sprints to kind of you know dig out and 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 repair things. So I get it. Um, uh, at the time, that team was nearly thirty people, and it took a while to get it split into three teams and. You know, it's it's a much different landscape now, but whew, um, well, and lessons, that's, lessons learned. That's something to dig into, though, because because you know that's interesting because you're picking up something that is a is a thirty person team, and and you need to split that apart. So you need to have that conversation about how do you reform uh, into actual three teams or however you're going to kind of split that up. Um, I think that's something to kind of dig into there as we come back around, as we, we start to look into some of the assessments, I'd like to come back to that because having that discussion around your team's too big, we might be end up being long-term more productive as, as two teams or two smaller teams or three teams. Um, you know, I found myself in that situation being asked to take that over. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick a little pin in that one and we're going to come back around. Um, Mr. Snyder. Um, well, I've definitely had my curveballs, and I'll give you one since I, a lot of my previous stories and engagements are similar to the previous ones you guys have been saying. But uh, recently, uh, one of my jobs that I took about three, oops, excuse me, three years ago was actually kickstarted by saying, hey, we have a team that needs a lot of help. Could you engage them? And I'm a big fan of saying the phrase like understand before being understood. So it goes along with along with the guys, what you've been saying around observe, learn and whatnot. Well, that team that they said that needs help ended up being a team of 60 people. So team was a little bit skewed. Um, so it ended up being a large program team, which is what they didn't really give me context and clarity into. Um, because when they showed me the team of rostered people, they didn't show me the outsourced contractors and heavy people that were actually the team. So that got interesting really quick. Um, and, that, and that's where you have to ask the right questions. And that's where I learned my lesson uh, in a harsh way. And I actually think uh, Todd was saying this or Jeanette, um, when, when you're um, speaking and want to get your intros with the team, I think that's vital. But even more so to that, getting to know the person that brought you in and the expectations and really understanding clearly what your job and accountability is to come in there. Some managers, to Todd's point, like maybe just are like, I need you to fix this team or I need you to do this or Mike referenced that like, if you don't feel comfortable with that approach, you, you need to hit that right before you engage the team. Like you need to be on the same page with the people that are sponsoring you and being your leaders. And I think that's really key. Um, that team of 60, I mean, that was a hard conversation right off the bat with the person who brought me in. So um, that's my two cents on this. 
we'll round out the, the roster here with Mr. Kellogg. Man, have you already talked to Steve? Talked no, to Steve. I did it. You know? Just the intro. Um, yeah, I guess part of what I was going to say is that, you know, there's a lot that goes into context as well. So if you're new to the company, um, I think there's a lot of prep work you can do ahead of time. Go meet with sales, have them pitch whatever the product is so you get a better understanding of the product. Hit up marketing and get materials and just so you have a, a better understanding. Talk with your manager or the owner of the company and figure out what's the why of the company. Why do we even have this product? Who's our customer? And try to build out your knowledge of what you're going into so that when you are taking this team to, to try to help, you're helping them align with where the company's heading. And I think, you know, just to kind of go off of what John was saying, before you take on the team, understand with the, the manager, you know, what are their expectations? Um, I've had management and their expectations were, oh, oh, actually, I want you to go in and fire a couple people. Okay, so I'm going to take over a team and immediately fire a couple people. That, that'll go over real well. So, you know, it's taking the just a, a, a kind of a culmination of everything people were saying. Take time to listen, to build trust with the team. If your goal is to go in and fire people, that's probably not a situation you would want. So if you can get that to happen prior to you going in, or if you can say, hey, let me work with the team and figure out if there's something else that needs to be done. Context, again, maybe nobody's been working with them for a while, and you actually have some rock stars that you should keep, not get rid of. So, Stephen, have you ever had the uh, direction, hey, I want you to go work with this team and help double their velocity? I've, I've had very similar things to that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this team's not performing. I need you to come in and make them perform better. Okay. Well, what, what is your expectation? What's there? There's a lot that goes into that. Very, very good question as well. So you tell them to double their story points, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I carry, I got a tool belt or I, I got a tire pump that I just carry with me to help the team out. <laughs> it's well. I, I'll gonna... throw out one more thing too. I, I think it's very common for new scrum masters, new coaches, to want to go in and, and make it happen, make something happen. And so they go in with, I have all the answers and here's everything you're doing wrong. And I think that's a misconception that goes with frameworks as well. Totally different topic, but it, you know, the, agile gets adjusted to the needs that are there. Not, I have all the answers and here's what you're screwing up. So let's fix it. That's a great way to lose trust and, and lose credibility. 100% agree. And kind of, if I, if I look at my style and, and the way I approach everything, I'm very data driven. So before, long before I've ever landed on the ground, I've talked to, I've done some homework on the, the product. I mean, if you, if you're looking at it, being in service to the, in service to the product owner, as a scrum master, you need to have as much information as you can about the product. So in case it's the problem of we can't make priority decisions, that you're there to help them. So I dig back to a lot of kind of the, the scrum guide and, and what it's called out to be the, the scrum master, even as a, even as a coach. Um, but I like to really use a data-driven kind of approach of interviewing stakeholders. How do stakeholders see these teams? How are these seen in the ecosystem? That manager may have an idea of what their perception of the team is, but what is the outward perception? 
or procession. What is outward perception of the the team to its stakeholders, to other people that interact with them, the ops people that have to deal with them. If you're at a company where that's kind of still separate, um, I, you know, most of our companies are doing things with electronic records these days. So I can potentially find maybe bre- breadcrumbs of their retros in something like Scatterspoke, Confluence, or n number of places, Mural for all. You know, mural. I mean, the the amount of digital tools and the advent of COVID <laughs> just really has made it easy to find information. You can look at their previous sprints. Right? You know, I'll pull the sprint reports and kind of throw it into my magic Excel sheet to figure out how much churn the teams have. Is so when I'm I'm not looking to have all the answers when I show up to the team but I'm looking to see what is there. So whoever has sent me there, I can give them a summary of here's where we are. Here's what I think the statement of work is. And I don't want to get all consulty, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of these engagements, I start out with doing some reconnaissance, gathering data, and then developing a statement of work for myself that I can align on with my stakeholders before I kind of move forward and, you know, I kind of, on that note, there's a lot of great ways that we kind of introduce teams. I like to kind of poke into what are your kind of next steps? Like you've, maybe you've got that introduction and maybe that's your first Fourier into the team is that great introduction, but what other kind of tools are we going to, out of your, out of your arsenal, are you going to kind of pull out to kind of really baseline and, and figure out where teams are going or, or need help? I would rather do that research prior to ever landing. Um, but Mike, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts on that. So, so I, I kind of think of it a little uh, different sequence. Uh, I want to observe the team and learn what I can before I talk to others. Because for me, what happens is that those other people then tend to have some sort of bias or influence on what I observe. So I just want to observe the team uh, kind of in their their normal environment, and if I if it's a case where I have pretty good confidence, I'm going to be working with them for a while. I'll um, sit down and talk about um, what's the in essence a coaching agreement, and just be clear on what I can offer to them and see what they want uh, to get from me, um, and then I look at. Uh, as you were saying, look at the digital data, the digital footprint, if you will. Uh, first thing I try to go to if they're using some sort of ALM tools, I want to look at the cumulative flows and see what see how work is flowing through their uh, through the process. And um, and the next thing I want I typically would uh, try to do is uh, develop some sort of dialogue with each team member. Uh, some in some contexts, it's schedule a one on one and spend an hour just chatting with that person understanding who they are, where they're from, and um, hear what they uh, think um, I could do to help them or where they think they might um, want to learn more or just kind of take the discussion wherever that person wants to take it. That kind of helps me build out a, a mental model of the people after that, then I want to understand the environment they're working in. So uh, maybe talk with the, um, the the folks in the uh, business and stakeholder communities and the different 
management structure that's around them. And um, uh, third thing is uh, just observe the environment and pay attention to the words and the kind of the subtle cues to get a sense for what the, um, uh, the kind of the informal influences on the team are. And that, that is all to help me build out a picture, a mental model of what this team is experiencing. And then add data points as we go along. So, so what, so, so, so those influencers, what, what would you kind of, what would, if, if you were, if somebody was kind of listening to this and wanted to kind of dig into that and they needed some, some clarity on, on what those influencers could be, what, could you give us just a, like a two second, not a two second, but a, a <laughs> yeah, quick kind of rundown of what you're, what you're kind of looking at there? Sure. Uh, I would look for uh, people talking about, um, if I doing something because they have a KPI or a performance objective tied to it, or look look for um, evidence of where the informal uh, authority is within the the um, the team, and then how does management interact with with the uh, with the team? So are they being you know are they being hammered on or are they being supported? Those are some examples. That makes awesome. sense. Heck yeah. Um, Janelle, thoughts? Um, to build on that, uh, I definitely agree. First, I agree. Just fold in, observe, be yourself. So authentically do that. Um, and the other part with understanding the environment and just, and you had touched on it a little bit, I think, with pre research or research pre-coaching is to understand what's the vision? Do you have a vision? Is there a strategy? Do you know how it, you know, like, can you see, you as a coach, see that it's the connections been made of this vision to the greater organization vision? And maybe there's a couple layers in that. Um, so I would want to start looking for that because that's going to, um, really tell some stories about what that team is, has um, supporting them or not. Um, so this isn't about quizzing team members and say, do you understand the vision? But there is a point where it's like, do you have a product vision? Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's around somewhere, you know, or whatever. It might not be a product, but do you have a vision for the, the body of work that you're supporting? It's really telling and Maybe you're not going to start there as a coach, but you're going to keep that um, running in the background as you start to learn other things about that team. That is, I mean, that is one of the things that is super critical. I mean, how many how many teams do you land in that they're saying the team's a problem, but it's really something upstream yep. in the system? And I think I'd like to kind of maybe circle back around to that, though. Um, Mr. Kellogg. Yeah, actually, I, I was going to jump on that a little bit, too, because there are some awesome. things you can do. Um, there are some questions that you can ask that can help you understand that, too. So you can just ask them in, when you're having that hour long conversation. Mike was talking about, hey, how would you describe the customer that, that we're trying to, to build this for? Uh, if you if you're talking to your mom or dad, how do you explain the product? 
And some some of those answers, you know, what would be your elevator pitch if you were trying to sell this? What would you? Some of those kind of questions can help. You know, I, I don't know, dude. I just work on this one little feature. That's all I do. Oh, okay, great. Explain the feature to me. But you know, there it can give you insight as to how much the team is aligned both together and with the company. So that that's just another thing, I guess, to, to jump off of what Janelle was saying. Um, awesome. back, back to the original piece, sorry. There's, you know, some of that is just observing too. If you can observe without actually running a retro, you know, let them do it and see, see who talks, who doesn't. That kind of insight helps as well. So you can figure out, you know, psychological safety is a big one, which is a whole nother episode probably. But, um, you know, just trying to get a feel for if management happens to be in the room, does the talk level change? Does conversation change? Those types of things can be a good insight and help you. Well, I, I mean, I definitely think those are some valid points, Steve. I mean, I can, I mean, I've been working with a lot of teams in India, um, as you guys have all heard me talk about. And, the, just the interesting dynamic of how some of these things that we take for granted uh, in the U.S. workforce and psychological safety and command and control and just all these things like you, you got to you have to have a totally different mindset when it comes to kind of interacting with with teams in, in India or even even the trying to interact with some folks from, you know, Poland or Minsk or just like these these different countries and, and cultures and I you know probably spend the whole time on talking about doing coaching of teams in distributed areas because culture plays a huge impact on that um, and I don't want to derail us too far off topic here but I mean that that's something that just totally be aware of um, well very similar could, to that oh sorry go ahead no go ahead go ahead I was just gonna say similar to that is you know are you coaching people in person in the same room or are you coaching people spread out across time zones or culture lines, if you will, like you were hitting, those are also big, big things that play, play a big role in how you approach it. I've also coached teams from India, from Romania, and it's, it's definitely different. You got those darn people from Europe to go on that month-long vacation that they didn't tell you they were going on, and then you expected them to do something for you, and then it's two months later. Well, that's another that's a rant for another day. Mr. Schneider. Without kind of re repeating a lot of the good like, comments and whatnot, I'll take a different uh, angle to add some comments around. When uh, someone comes into a team, I believe, like, you know, there's people that have certain, like, uh, associations to a title based off their experience. So they'll call themselves like a junior scrum master, scrum master, coach, enterprise coach, transfer, whatever it is, right? At the end of the day, we're all dealing with teams. If the team is maybe managerial people or execute like tactical people, I mean, the word team in itself is interesting when you say team as a coach, that's a whole nother topic as well. But my point that I wanted to get to is um, there are people that kind of just are seasoned, really good team coaches that like 
in my opinion, are just they're 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 the type of people that within 24 to 48 hours, like they've just seen it all. They've done with so many teams have been they already know what's probably the issues and problems, but they slow roll it because they know the culture of the team. They know if they just come in there and start saying something, the team's like, You've been here for two days. Why do you want to start changing things? Like they know how it works, they know the culture, the emotions so well, and they know how to kind of play that kind of game of change with the team. But there's other situations too where the levels of experience, I think somebody was referencing already, the amount of knowledge and awareness you have as a team coach beyond the team also makes you that much more stronger of a team coach. So what I mean by that is, is what if the company hasn't been doing so well and they're reducing headcount? Do you think that team really understands that strategically for how you can improve them and affect their processes? That's a very complex coaching situation. What if the budget's not good? What if they're growing so quick that they want to scale teams and now they have new team members popping? Like there's so many variables at play when you're coaching a team that sometimes I can see like people just entering the scrum master role that like kind of just want to understand the practitioner of fundamentals and frameworks is hard in itself. Now start adding the complexity of like the company, the culture, the variables at play, the business models and that's when, you know, we kind of joke, there's no difference between Scrum Master and Coach. That's where that reality really hits there, in my opinion, because Scrum Masters typically know a lot more about the culture of the company, the business model, things going on because they're closer to the team and the impacts to it. And then the coaches kind of have to just make sense of it, usually at a higher level. It's complex. And uh, to honestly, the best way I can describe it is just do what you can and manage it. But the point I was trying to make is lots of variables at play when to coaching a team and they just uncover themselves sporadically the longer you stay with them, which is why quick hitting coaching is sometimes as dangerous. You used to call it drive-by coaching. Yeah, drive-by coaching. It's horrible. Never worked. The seagull effect. You just fly in and poop and leave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny because we were having a discussion around uh, causal loops today at work and how – like looking at coaching patterns and how you can really, really impact a lot of things by, I'm going to introduce this, but if I do that, it introduces that. And mm. for, for the folks that aren't just totally into like this stuff gets super complex and like nerdy. And I could probably talk about that for a long time, but to dumb it down to just every, the every man, if you give a mouse a cookie, you start there and, and go, go get is a, give a mouse a cookie and watch that on a Netflix or read the books and that'll get you in the causal loops. Pretty, pretty darn good. Yep. Um, it's a time, journey, not a project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll kick it over to Todd. Uh, what in particular? Um, we're talking about what, how, what, are, what are some tools that you use to kind of kick off, engage the engage in a coaching situation? What, what are you kind of using? I mean, is it, are you getting into potentially the assessments? It's kind of where we're – nobody has actually touched on the Agile assessment yet. Nobody said, I, I just fire up LAI and uh, hit them up with a with – an, uh, and no, I'm not just plugging software for my friends. But – you know, nobody is nobody's just has come out and said like I I go in with the agile health radar and I and I assess these teams. Well, I mean, what's what's your approach, Todd? What kind of what kind of methods do you like to kind of assess where a team is? Well, I mean, a lot of a lot of what I've been doing um, is 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 really trying to to carefully unwind um, like some of the big challenges and and, and anti patterns that I've I've encountered. Um, as gently as possible. Um, and, 
you know, a lot of it has been, you know, trying to, um, you know, kind of uncover where people have been kind of working off the books for like undocumented overtime that's killing them and saying like, hey guys, look, if you're working more than 40 hours, we need to, we need to find a, a new way to look at this because, you know, this should be sustainable. You should be able to go home at the end of the day. Um, and, and, and really, you know, kind of showing the team that, that I'm there for them to try to, to try to ease their burden instead of um, deliver more, 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 more. Um, and I, you know, and there's been some discussions about this in the past is that we don't really have a, a big delivery issue where we're delivering. I think in some cases people have, have been shocked at, at what, how high the percentage is that we're delivering um, when we've talked about it. But like I said, it's, it's, how they're going about delivering some of that. And there's a, you know, the idea of a failure for these teams is there's no shades of gray. It is very black and white. And so they don't want to do anything that looks like failure. And so they will work very hard to, to, to make sure that, that, you know, the train stays on the tracks and it, it delivers when it's supposed to deliver. Um, so maybe not what you're looking for, but I mean, like I said, I mean, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been really trying to, to kind of unpack some of that for them so that, that they know that, that I'm there for them. Uh, I'm not there for management. Yeah. One, of, one of the things with Todd, too, though, is that he's been able to observe the teams before he ended up taking them over, which I think is a different, a little bit different scenario than no, not, no. not true. No, I didn't, I didn't get to observe any of these. It was no, I thought every, you did. In, no, in every case, it was you know, we need your, your, you know, pers perspective and insights gotcha. uh, to, to come in. Um, and, and unfortunately, a lot of cases, you know, you know, in hindsight, I would have gone back and, and said, Hey, I need, I need more time to observe this. That was my, that was my big fallacy from the beginning, which I was talking about earlier. Gotcha. Um, and so, so after, after that last year, the, 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 the teams that I went into this spring, um, it was, it was a whole nother story. One of them was like, I was like, guys, look, you know, I talked to management. I was like, I don't want to make any changes right now. I want to, I want to, you know, they're, you know, they're on a tight deadline for delivery. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to make any big changes. I want to go in and, 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 and listen. And fortunately early on, there was an issue uh, that was obviously a big communication mismatch. And I, I reached out to a few people and I said, this is, these teams, you know, these, these, you know, these, these disciplines within this team aren't, they're, they're communicating at cross purposes and it actually fixed one of the bigger, bigger underlying problems for that team. Um, but like I said, that was, that was my lessons learned from, from last year. So. So I wanted to add a comment around like, cause I know you wanted to get a, the answer on assessments, which to go back to what I think you were saying, James earlier about like looking at their past retros and their content. And that's one way to at least source some content uh, without going too extreme with like surveys and some other stuff. But that team of 60 that I told you that I just randomly popped in front of me to really do it quickly and efficiently. Yeah. You, I send out some kind of pulse assessment to kind of understand from the teams to kind of quicken the knowledge of where the gaps were, what were some, you know, some questions might seem say something like, we follow a definition of done when we deliver. And of course it's scaled like always, sometimes what's a definition of done. And, you know, and then that, that at least give you a sense of impulsive understanding. Um, one thing I wanted to throw out there too, uh, Steve and Todd, Mike, and, and, and the group here, Janelle, I'm curious if, um, 
I'm trying to empathize when I first took over a team, like the very first time. And I, I were a bunch of kind of seasoned practitioners and kind of been doing this for maybe at least a year plus five years plus like a lot of us kind of been through this. Um, I remember the first time I went through it and we're talking about how we should tell these scrum masters or people, you know, make sure you level set expectations to your manager and make sure, you know, you have a good intro. And a lot of that is really tough manage up soft skills. That is not easy. And I remember the first time I took a team, they, the managers basically told me, track their velocity, understand their delivery metrics and do this. By the way, shocker, that was not at all the right thing to kind of do for the team at the time. But I was a petrified new scrum master that was happy that I understood the framework really well, let alone anything else. So it's, it's really hard to just go and manage back up without having really good experience and confidence back to your manager to kind of pivot and ask powerful questions to get to the team on the right court. Like that's really hard because looking back on the younger me, I couldn't do it. I can do it now, but that's hard. Todd has his hand up. He was either saluting John and, and recognizing the, the pain and the face punches that Todd's taken. No, um, no, I actually wanted to throw out a question and, and maybe this turns into an entire another cast, but on the topic of, of coaching teams, um, you know, I, something that I was in a conversation with earlier today that came up is, is, you know, how do you, how do you approach that to a team so that they don't feel like this is the beginning of a performance improvement plan? You know, how do they realize that, that coaching is a, is a safe space for, for them, not this is, is tied to, you know, the quality of your next paycheck or bonus or whatever. Um, like I said, and I realize that can be a whole nother thing, but, but, you know, to go into a new team, particularly for a new coach going into a team, it's a, I think that's a, a big topic to unpack. Yeah. I mean, Todd, my, my short answer is I, I just went and got some custom post-it notes printed so I could put them on my tool belt and all I printed on them, it says PIP and we just put them on people's desks. And that's how you set the tone correctly. No, buddy. I, I think it is. I think that is one of those those topics. And, and I'm, I'm more than happy to kind of poke into that a little bit and kind of help you, you know, with wading through that. But I think it is a, a bigger, broader, longer discussion. Anybody yeah, else from what, the panel what, want to pop in there? Yeah. I, an idea, uh, a thought is if it's available to you, um, get a, uh, a more seasoned person that can help you work your way through it. <clears throat> and um, shameless plug, there's a lot of really helpful people in the Agile Uprising community, by the way. Um, but somebody who's working in your context might, might be really helpful. And um, the other thing is there's no substitute for uh, establishing relationship and trust and credibility. So people may be standoffish at first, but when they realize you're not there, you know, ticking off boxes on the time sh on the sheet to write up their PIP, then it gives you a fighting chance that they'll loosen up and and let you in to help. So thoughts there? Thoughts there? I mean, you hit on something I was going to bring up as well, which especially for people who are new to the whole arena is to really work as much on understanding people and the human interaction as you do on understanding the framework or, or that. Um, because really 
how you interact with people, how you listen, that kind of interaction makes a huge difference. Individuals and interactions over processes and tools. Yeah, that gets overlooked a lot, though. I really think people yeah. learn the, oh, this is what I have to do. Here are the steps. These are the meetings I have to have. Okay, I've done those. Check the box. Yeah. We should be good now. Remember, we, I think there was a content or podcast on this. Is like, isn't the way to promote individuals and interactions, though, through the processes and tools? It was one of those, like, chicken and egg things uh, where, it's like, you know, how do you get them to have individuals and interactions without the frameworks enabling it? You know, so it was like a, you know, which one? <laughs> this is a controversial. Don't muddy the waters. Don't muddy the waters. <laughs> Chanel, would you like to chime in? Yeah, I just, I agree with be authentic, be yourself. Um, yeah. When I knew nothing and this wasn't an agile team, I was like, I don't know, 23. So it was maybe like six years ago. <laughs> and I was newly promoted call center manager. And I was sent to another state in the South. I live in Wisconsin to fill in for an office manager who was gone. And this team was a team of five women who had worked together for five years. And I was sent there to come and help fill in for this office manager who was out on medical leave and to hire a new person. They didn't want me there. Um, I just kept being myself. I was also, that was my first travel thing, you know, so it was all new. Everything was new. And I just kept showing, like, show up, be there and be yourself. And, you know, you've got to ask questions and stuff like that. And they'll be annoyed or whatever, but like, just show up, be there. If you can be in person and embed with the team, just keep showing up. After a while, the, the software engineers like, oh, that chick is not going anywhere. She keeps coming back every day. Yes, I do. Hi. Hi. You know, and I'm not. And the other thing is like, when you're being authentic, notice how people dress. If you're in person, how are you dressed? Are you not like you have to dress the same, but do you look all pretentious or are you scrubby and everyone else is a little more like you might have your, your stick of what you, I'm a coach and I wear a hat or whatever. Um, but just just noticing, read the room beyond any workshop or anything. Just read what's going on around you. If And I think you can do that even virtually. You can read the room and see what's going on with people's backgrounds and all that. Um, so those are some of my thoughts. Um, I did have another thought on the assessment, but I don't want to go after it if we're done with that. No, I mean, we, we can open up a can. Like, that's the beauty of these podcasts is we can come back and open up a can of worms that is just horrible and gnarly right towards the end of the podcast. It's a good time probably to do it. I mean, but I will tell you, I do coach better wearing a monocle and a bee suit. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be tough to fit in with some of these folks. Go ahead. Oh, rip the Band-Aid off the wound. Yeah, um, just two words of it, two things of encouragement or concepts of encouragement with assessments. I mean, I've done the agility health radar with, I've got certified and distributed teams and all that kind of stuff. If like, okay, if the organization is making you do it, you got to do it. Um, even if you're being made to do it versus choosing to do it, my two things are make it strategic. Um, find a way to make it connect to the vision or to the work. You're like, well, what, what else am I connecting to? Well, there's probably a delivery transformation that 
is happening or has happened. So how does what we're doing here, assessing, strategically connect to the advancement of changing how we deliver or modernize or whatever it is? And then the other part of that is if there's an, an, a system of enablement or a enablement work happening, like moving barriers and impediments and stuff like that, that's another thing that can show up in this assessment. So be strategic. And then the other thing is the follow through. Like how many times has someone made a new tool or said, hey, we're going to have a spreadsheet and we're going to put everybody's skills on it. Tell me your skills and talents. And somebody makes that spreadsheet and then it just poof, it vanishes into the atmosphere or it's used later as a hammer. So follow through and the nature of it is really key to whether an assessment's a good idea or not. I'm going to go a, a bit of a different direction than that, um, in part because I've been traumatized by forced assessments and I've made some horrible mistakes. I've been the guy with the clipboard assessing and scoring the team. And then they looked at me and I won't even use the words that they used. Um, this team was in Philly, by the way. Um, <clears throat> but what I've learned from, from, from those kind of schools of hard knocks is that the word assessment uh, triggers more very frequently a defensive reaction. You're being judged or scored or ranked. And, you know, to, to I think to Gifts earlier point, are you, are you on a, the path to a pip? Uh, so I, I'm at the point where I resist hard assessments. In one, one gig, I literally just said, no, I'm not doing them. Fire me. I don't care. Um, and uh, <clears throat> there, there is assessments can serve a valid use, which is helping the team understand what they can, uh, what opportunities they have to do things differently. And it can also be a way to point out uh, environmental barriers that are holding the team back. And so an assessment uh, method that, I, that I've, I've seen work kind of well is just taking the, um, the Agile Manifesto, the, uh, the four values and the, the 12 principles and have the team themselves figure out how they're doing and what their evidence of how well they're doing is and what they could maybe, the simplest thing they could do to get better in one of those areas. And um, done that way, it can be less intimidating. Um, this is what I think. Yeah, it's a trigger word for me at this point. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I know that a lot of people have heard me say it in the past, but one of my favorite um, Agile Uprising episodes ever was, uh, it was like September of 2018, which was the, the um, 12 principles as, as metrics for transformation. Because, um, I mean, it's like right there and it, it's, a, it's, you know, kind of a, a light way to kind of gauge where you are and where you're going uh, without do it. No, no, go ahead. Finish that thought. I was going to say, I was gonna say you know, without, without, you know, putting a lot of, you know, you know, anything else like, you know, heavier on top of it. It's, it's, you know, here's these couple of sentences. How do you feel your team aligns or, or not with, with what it says and based on what you do, you know, how important is it to try to get closer to that? I mean, does it make sense if you release more frequent than what you are, you know, 
or is that frequency need to go from once a year to twice a year, three times a year? It doesn't have to be every two weeks. That's still more, that's better. Um, so like I said, that was one that I, that was one that I always liked. And uh, I think it was Gifford and, and, and Schneider that just pushed, um, you know, had some, some tools recently that they had posted. And, you know, I think that those are great. Even if you're not having the team do them, you can just do a silent assessment of based on observation and just to get a feel for where things are going. Maybe that goes nowhere else, but maybe it gives you some, some points to, to, to gently coach on going forward and the team never has to know what they scored on anything. Yeah. And, and we can, we'll link that, we'll link that show in the, in the show notes, but that was, it was a Troy Lightfoot topic that, that brought that uh, gem to existence. Um, and it's a really good episode. And for, for my experience, assessments have been good or bad. Um, but we've recently, I've used that as a, as a mechanism for transformation. Um, and my whole kind of thought process and belief is that you can slice these practices down to behaviors that are, that are, they're modable. We, we send teams to boot camps for a week and it's like, you've been now baptized in the agile, go forth and sprint. Cause most of us are stuck using scrum because that's what the industry has adopted as like the most awesome thing ever. But we use that as we use the agile assessment to help teams understand their journey and how they can evolve. And so we married the agile assessment with quote unquote stops on a, on a journey. The last place we did it, we set it to the Oregon trail. So everybody had their kind of path. The project managers went to Santa Fe because, you know, we, we just want to send project managers to New Mexico. There's nothing good there <laughs> except for desert and hotness. And we sent this, the Agile teams to Oregon because, you know, we hope they didn't die of dysentery. But along that way, we, we set it up so that during the transformation, we exposed them to, uh, I mean, we were, we're also using a frameworkless transform, you know, a frameworkless um, methodology, but it's to get somebody using standups well, like we, you know, the first stop, maybe we want to see a certain level of proficiency in standups and these five skills. Once you guys can demonstrate that and, and, are, and we're confident in that, it's like, all right, we're going to introduce more. And that more might be, we're going to deepen the experience with these types of practices because of the outcomes they produce. And we're going to introduce a basic level concept of maybe work in progress limits, depending on how far you're in there. So we use a, we use the assessment as a way for teams to kind of say, here's what good looks like at this level. Have we kind of worked through the three, four, five things that we need to learn at this stop to now kind of keep progressing our journey? So we turned it into something that really helped the team kind of understand their path and growth opportunities, as opposed to kind of letting the you know instead of just sheep dipping them and then sending them on their merry way to, to go sprinting. Um, I would say so along I, with that, though, then that to me feels less like an assessment, right? And so I think to Mike's point of coming in and saying, we're going to do an assessment and see where you are. It's less that and more of a, hey, we're going to build out a structure that gets us further down the road. It, I don't know, just the way you described it feels like less assessment and more, you know, helping the team grow and learn and build themselves to a better team. But if, we, if we're truly using the assessment as a, just another mechanism gauge of where teams are and what it, 
I mean, that if you go back and talk to Mike McCalla and, and the work he did with LAI, that was our vision. Like I worked on LAI for two years, so I'm not, I'll disclose that now. But like when we set out with it, it was supposed to not be a tool to assess where teams were. It was to help them understand how to improve practices to achieve better outcomes in your organization. So that was the step. That is the selling point and was yep. the selling point of the yep. of the actual product where, you know, and, and so it's how does your company use assessment? How do coaches use assessments? There is one thing to assess where they are and then help them come up with a coaching plan of, hey, we're meeting you where you guys are. Here's what we're seeing. And the rest of the organization has declared, I, you know, you hate when an organization declares we all need to be a three, but it's you guys are here. Let's talk about a coaching plan that helps us get there. What's the simplest thing that we can do today, tomorrow? And I've always used it as a tool to kind of help teams see where it is, help them understand practices. I may not always be there, but if I can instill in them what the various kind of levels of this assessment looks like, in a, and, I, and I haven't had enough experience with the Agile Health Radar to really understand where it is. I've always written assessments in more of a CMMI kind of flow of levels of proficiency. So I can't speak to anything around the health radar, but um, if it is being used as a tool, just like a gauge in your car to understand or, or looking at flow metrics and understanding, all of these things are in the team's capabilities of, of changing. And all they are are gauges on just kind of overall health of the of the vehicle. I mean, I and, the, and it's I lump the assessment into a metrics framework that I promote that is literally just a set of gauges for the company. And and there's an episode back out there in 2017 timeframe. I don't remember when um, we released it, but it was right after Agile DC. Uh, and I, it would, it's an actual recording of my talk on five metrics to create high safety and high performing teams. Um, so it's a older cast and we can link that too, but it, it kind of talks about really the importance of having metrics and, and, you know, data that is used for the team as a set of gauges. None of this stuff should be really measured. There is no performance indicators that you can put on teams and, I really need to stop myself because I'm going to go off on a total tangent <laughs> and we're, we're kind of coming down the time. Let me challenge something because um, there's, I'm trying to empathize a little bit with some of our listeners and some of the situations I know for people that are scrum masters or coaches, because I can't tell you how many times I go to like meetups or places and people introduce themselves. And I'm kind of surprised at how many people actually still like it's, I'm a product owner that also plays the scrum master role. I'm a tech lead on the team that also plays the scrum master role. I'm a, it, it, there's so many people that play this in addition to their role or that they're doing this because they don't have the budget to bring in another scrum master. So I, my challenge, I guess, is for those people that are kind of dual hatting their roles or just doing it out of necessity. So their team has somebody that's doing these activities. If you had to kind of ruthlessly prioritize a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, like, they don't have time to do everything. They can't like level set the intro. They can't get to know the team as well or effectively, or maybe they can't do assessments and gaps. Like where, where, what, 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 what's like almost non-negotiable, I guess is my question. Like what do they absolutely have to do to even do the job? Well, you, you just opened up a can of worms. So we're going to have to keep, we're going to have to, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of close. We'll use this as kind of the closing statements. So oh, final advice. 
<laughs> Thanks, John, for just stabbing us in the neck with something that could take us another hour. Um, so we'll use this as a kind of moment for closing thoughts okay. and, and kind of that. So, John, if you could kind of just quickly resummarize that real quick since I just rambled on. I think this was a really good discussion on teams and getting intros. And I think the next time we meet to discuss this even further, I would like to challenge for the people that are kind of in the real world scenario of doing multiple roles or having complexity or having struggling managing up, kind of really digging in more details of how they could really truly break through. But I think this was a great conversation on level setting expectations, knowing how you align back to the manifesto. I, I really like the comments here. And we'll kick so, it over. I'll jump Go in. Ahead. I was getting ready to call on you, Steve. Hey, uh, I was just trying to shorten the time, but now I'm making it longer. So I would jump in and say first to your scenario there, I would make sure that I level set time so that I'm not trying to do 100% development. Oh, and do the Scrum Master stuff as well. And make sure that your management knows that. That's all I'll say on that piece. Um, I will throw out that especially if you're new, but just in general, don't do this for any role in a vacuum. Find a group of people that you can work with, that can mentor you, that you can bounce ideas off of. And it is okay not to have all the answers all the time. I'll leave it with that. Awesome. Over to Janelle. Um multiple responsibilities in the role. I, I think sometimes you don't have a choice. Of, there's always a choice. If you want to work at that organization, you're accepting that you're doing more than one role. That doesn't mean you can't be strategic with the trade-offs and laying it out as clearly as you can. And even if you're brand new, you still have a gut feeling about things and you, you know how things should be and how things currently are. And being able to have some conversations to say, these are the trade-offs. If I'm doing this, we're stopping this or, you know, that way. So I, I think there's always room to be strategic. And repeating my words, there's always a choice. You can find that you're you're in something that now that you're in it, you're like, I thought I could do this and I can't. It doesn't mean you're a failure. Um, recent experience where I turned down a scrum master role because it was so many things. And then I was offered something else and I accepted it. Well, guess what happened? It was a little bait and switch. So there I was back in the same thing I said no to. So then I just worked for a while and got myself out of it. There's always a choice. Over to Mike. Yeah. <clears throat> um, best thoughts I can offer are um, understand that this is not easy. You know, we talk about this, we're, talk, we're summarizing things that we've seen worked and in some cases things that we've seen not work, but this is not easy. This is human beings, human interaction, which is not simple. So forgive yourself, forgive your team, uh, one of the things that stuck with me from the first time I read uh, Lisa Adkins' book on coaching agile teams is you're going to make calls that don't work out so well. Forgive yourself. Um, ask your team for forgiveness if you have to and forgive your team because they're going to do things that you think, oh, a bunch of bozos. Why would you do that? Yeah, but but so, so forgive yourself, forgive your team. Um, and when things don't work out well, um, 
reflect on it, see what you can learn. And, um, you know, Janelle, I think mentioned this earlier, just show up every day being who you are and um, let your awesomeness come through because um, you know, we, we all have something to offer. So. Awesome. Todd, take us home. Yeah, so real quick, you know, two points on, on Schneider's thing. I knew a guy that was having to kind of bounce back and forth between between PO and SM, and he would be very explicit. It's like, I'm giving you an answer based on X. And so, you know, he would try to draw a line, you know, in his response just to so that people understood how and why he was framing, you know, the response he was framing. Um, he, he wasn't – he was doing it out of necessity, but, you know, he wanted he – wanted, somebody else in one of those roles, but that's, that's how we did it to help the team understand the, the viewpoints instead of it just being the agile project manager, you know, bucket role. Um, you know, as to the, the larger topic um, as a whole, my big takeaway here is, is really the encouragement to um, manage up to, to make sure that you get the, the best possible uh, introduction to a team and, and expectations of, of why you're there, um, you know, as you're going in so that, so that there are no surprises. Um, and ideally this is, it is the, the coaching side, not the PIP side. Um, because if they, <laughs> if they advertise you as the, as the PIP guy, it's going to be rough. Um, but like I said, I think that's the, the most important thing that, that I've picked up from this. Awesome. Well, and I mean, those are all valuable statements and, you know, it, it's awesome to read everything that you guys post in the discord. It, it's awesome to follow the, the comments, except for Schneider. He's an a-hole. Um, but no, I'm just kidding. I love reading all the work that you guys kind of put into that and the conversations that happen in there. So for me, it is, it's a blessing and a, and a joy to kind of get to actually connect with you guys and see you in, in person and really get to hear your thoughts in, in real voice as opposed to reading it. So with that, you know, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to close this one out, but I know that there's probably a lot more conversations to be had around this topic. And, you know, as I, as we kind of close this out, if there's anything you want to plug or if you want social, if you want people to kind of connect with you, I'd like to give you guys an opportunity to, um, you know, share that, uh, let people know how they could find you. Uh, and if you are a person looking for a fantastic scrum master and you're looking for remote options or in the Houston area, I'm going to totally plug my man Todd. Todd, I hooked Todd up with an awesome gig. He's a solid person. So I'm going to plug Todd, but no, in reality, if you want folks to kind of connect, be able to connect with you, um, why don't you let a, we'll go around the horn and let people know how they can connect with you. Uh, I'd say find us on Discord and see if it's really, you know, somebody you want to hang out with long-term. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go from there. Yeah, I, I can be found on LinkedIn, uh, just slash IN slash Stephen Kellogg with a PH. Stephen. Nice. Chanel? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as well, and I'm about to release a book uh, called The Employee Coach Handbook, um, published by Francie Van Workus LLC, my business. So I can't say too much about it yet because 
I can't commit to like, it's going to be out in two weeks, but I think it might be out in, in a couple of weeks. And so I have a lot of passion on that. So see me on LinkedIn with either name and um, it was great fun to be here with you all. Awesome. Mike? Uh, <clears throat> LinkedIn, I think I'm the only Mike Cadell that comes up when you search. Um, uh, the, the Agile Uprising Discord as well. And uh, occasionally I dip my toe into the Twitter sphere. Um, Humans of Agile is the uh, handle I've chosen, but um, that's less frequent. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, come check us out on Discord and like Todd said, see if uh, if we're all out in the bag of chips. Uh, there's some, some inter interesting conversations for sure. Mr. Schneider. Yeah, also LinkedIn in slash Johnson Schneider, uh, highly active on the Agile Uprising Discord, highly recommend that as well. And uh, another forum that's the Agile, a hands-on Agile Slack community with over 10,000 people globally distributed, mostly Europe-based, but a lot of good practitioners and people there. All three very active, you can find me there. Fantastic. And I'm Jay, and I'm your host of uh, Swords hasn't been happening in a long time. But uh, you guys can find me pretty much uh, on at Scramando. My LinkedIn profile, I've modified it so it's Scramando because I'm a loser. Um, so if you even want to connect with me, you can find me at Scramando. I have a blog, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I recently just got my uh, professional Kanban trainer certification. So if you're looking for Kanban training or uh, coaching, please hit me up. I love the work. Um, and with that, we're going to close this podcast out. So on behalf of the Agile Uprising and, and all of our community on Discord, we thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, all that fancy stuff. If this would ever make it to YouTube, we'd say. But I don't actually remember how we closed down a podcast. So with that, we'll sign out. And we do have a Patreon. If you want to help support us, you can find us at, uh, I don't remember. We'll put it in the show notes. So. With that, thank you and uh, have a great night or day or wherever the hell you're listening from. Thanks.
My little brother's friends have been camped out at our place for two days straight. Three. It's because of the Xfinity 10G network. Internet that can handle a house full of screens at once, with like basically no interruptions. And it's only getting faster. When I was their age, internet like this was a pipe dream. You sound like my grandpa. Please go home. Introducing the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. Restrictions apply, not available in all areas.